ask if you will, if you open your Bibles to the beginning of the text that was read for us a few moments ago from Matthew chapter 2. Matthew chapter 2, and today we're going to be looking at verses 1 through 12, though we're not going to be looking at every verse in detail. I'm really just zeroing in on a couple of verses. Uh, But at the beginning of our lesson today, uh, for the sake of tying it all together, I want to read to you uh, the first 12 verses of Matthew chapter 2, and it's our hope and prayer that you'll uh, follow along in your Bibles. Matthew chapter 2, beginning at verse 1, it says, Now when Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea, in the days of Herod the king, behold, there came wise men from the east to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he that is born king of the Jews? For we have seen his star in the east and are come to worship him. When Herod the king had heard these things, he was troubled and all Jerusalem with him. And when he had gathered all the chief priests and scribes of all the people together, he demanded of them where Christ should be born. And they said unto him, In Bethlehem of Judea, for thus it is written by the prophet. And thou, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are not the least among the princes of Judah, for out of thee shall come a governor that shall rule my people Israel. Then Herod, when he had privately, uh, privately called the wise men, he inquired of them diligently what time the star appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem and said, Go and search diligently for the young child, and when we have found him, bring me word again that I may come and worship him also. When they had heard the king, they departed, and lo, the star which they saw in the east went before them till it came and stood over where the young child was. And when they saw the star, they rejoiced with exceeding great joy. And when they were coming to the house, they saw the young child with Mary his mother and fell down and worshipped him. And when they had opened their treasures, they presented unto him gifts, gold and frankincense and myrrh. And being warned of God in a dream that they should not return to Herod, they departed into their own country another way. This morning as I begin our lesson, I want to read something to you. Something that, um, well, I put it on Facebook many years ago. But it's called The Christmas Legend of the Carolinas. In the center of a southern town in South Carolina, there was a nativity scene that showed great skill and talent had gone into creating it. One small feature stood out that was very unusual. The figures of the wise men had pasted on them the faces of three local boys who were raised in that area, James, Neil, and Stephen. This always baffled visitors who came to the site why only the figures of the wise men had photos transposed on them. Totally unable to come up with a reason or explanation, one visitor decided to ask a local what it meant. At a shop at the edge of town, he asked the lady behind the counter about the wise men. The woman sighed, Don't you people read the Bible? Haven't you ever heard of David? The visitor assured her that he did, but he simply couldn't recall anything about that in the Bible. She replied, Sir, the Bible very clearly says that the three wise men came from afar. Now, for those of you who don't know who my dad is, he's David, and of course our last name is Far. Now, I bring that up in a silly way to point out the fact that this time of year, there's a lot of misconceptions Uh, that are taught and oftentimes taken for granted that necessarily aren't really true. 
Um, of course, the religious world this time of year observes this particular day as the birth of Jesus Christ. Uh, even though nowhere in the Bible does it say that December the 25th was the day that he was born. Uh, it's simply a holiday that was established by the Catholic Church, and it coincided with the uh, pagan feast of Solarium. And uh, more than likely, because of the fact that there were shepherds out in the field, uh, it would be during the lambing season, and lambing season was in the spring. So a lot of scholars think that more than likely that Jesus was born sometime around April or a little bit later than that. Now, we have Christian liberty to observe the birth of Jesus whenever we want to observe him, but yet at the same time, we should never ever impose upon someone or judge someone uh, just because they don't celebrate December the 25th as the day that Jesus was born, because the Bible is silent about that. And historically, it didn't even come about as his birth until the 4th century. But also, when it comes to the wise men, there's a lot of misconceptions about it. Uh, for example, if you'll notice in the screen behind me, uh, that uh, there are three wise men there, and they also have them at the nativity scene. But if you notice at the text... Uh, first of all, notice in verse 1, it says they came from the east. They didn't come from afar, even though we oftentimes think about the wise men coming from afar. They came from the east. But notice in verse 1, if you look at the original text, and this is brought out in some of the newer translations, that the wise men appeared on the scene after Jesus was born. Not at the time of his birth or before his birth. It was after he was born. And I also want you to notice that um, nowhere does it say the number of wise men. We automatically assume that there was three because there were three gifts, but there may have been 10 or 20 wise men or even more. Just because there were three gifts does not limit the number of wise men there were. Um, we know that there were at least two. It may have been one was extremely generous and the other one wasn't. Or it may be that there was a bunch of wise men and all three of these gifts represented what they brought. But also notice that uh, when the wise men actually came to find Jesus Christ, especially notice verse 11, where it says, When they came into the house, they saw the young child with Mary his mother and fell down and worshipped him. At this time, Mary was no longer in the stable. She was no longer uh, in the what we might call the nativity scene. But instead, she had already moved into a house. And also by looking at what Herod said and uh, looking at the rest of the chapter and knowing that um, Herod was going to kill all the babies, that he set the time frame as two years and younger. Uh, thereby, most people believe that the time that the wise men came along, or it's the time period, uh, that could have been Jesus was as old as two years old at this time. That's the reason why um, Herod said that he said, uh, did what he did. Now, I'm saying all this because we always want to make sure that we teach what the Bible teaches and oftentimes don't get caught off in what's been handed down as tradition and whatnot. But I bring all that up today once again because of the fact that I think that the wise men are some very interesting characters we have in our Bible. Um, there's a lot of mystery surrounding them. I mean, who were they? Uh, where exactly did they come from? How long was their journey? Uh, as I've already mentioned, how many of them were there? Um, they just kind of appear on the scene mysteriously, and then all of a sudden, uh, mysteriously, uh, they disappear. And there's this mention of them made in the Gospels, and, and why were they mentioned? What is the point of all of it? Well, we obviously can't answer all those particular questions, but when I think about these wise men, 
I can't help but think about how that there are wise men and wise women today. People who are on a journey, people who are seeking the Lord, people who either are seeking the Lord or as they go through this journey, they are seeking self. There are people we might call wise men or wise women today. Then we also might think of people being uh, foolish, foolish men and foolish women. And all I want us to do today is I want us to think about these wise men. And I want us to think about their journey that they took. And I want us to make a parallel on the journey that we are taking and see if we can find ourselves in the story and basically bring out three points that perhaps you've never looked at when it comes to looking at these particular wise men. Something more than just simply a group of men that happened to be following a star and they found Jesus Christ and they gave him gifts, but there is some attitudes and some parallels that can be made. And so as we think about this journey, the first thing I want you to think about is a wise man's journey is first of all a journey of faith. Look at verses 1 and 2 again. It says, Now when Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king, behold, there came wise men from the east to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he that is born king of the Jews? For we have seen his star in the east, and we are come to worship him. What would cause a person to take a long, long journey? What would cause a person to leave everything behind and travel a journey for many, many miles and really not knowing what's going to happen upon the journey? Would someone make a long journey for romance? Perhaps because of a girl they loved or because of a man they loved? Uh, the other day I was looking, I'm always fascinated with, uh, with space travel and NASA and that type of thing, and I was looking at some things on the internet the other day, and just by accident I came across the story of that uh, woman, you may remember, that uh, fell in love with another astronaut, and she was an astronaut, and, and she decided she was going to make this long journey, and so she didn't have to stop, she uh, wore adult diapers the entire way. That's somebody that wants to meet somebody. That's somebody who's in love. And even though she was misguided in that love, uh, she was willing to make a long journey for romance. And there may be some in here, I don't know everyone's story, that maybe you traveled a long way so you could find that certain one person because you couldn't bear to be a part of that person. Somebody might take a long journey because of wealth. The reason why so many of the nations and the countries that have been discovered in this world, it all started because someone was trying to find riches, trying to find something that would bring them wealth. Uh, Columbus, the reason why he came to these uh, United States was because he was trying to find a better route to India so he could become more wealthy. But the question that needs to be asked this morning is, will a person go on a journey because of faith? And the answer that comes back to us this morning is yes. Each and every one of us, though, we may not realize it, are on a journey in our life. And if we're heading in the right direction, it's because it's a journey of faith. And that's certainly what's going on here in the text. These men left from wherever they left. The implication is they were far away. They travel the many days, the, the many nights out on the road, and they finally arrived in the city of Jerusalem. And the reason why they left and the reason why they arrived is because of their faith. 
Notice how in the question that they ask even to the king, there is no doubt whatsoever. The text says, where is he that is born the king of the Jews? For we have seen his star in the east and are come to worship him. There's no doubt whatsoever in their their question. It's not like, is there somebody like this? Uh, We saw a star, we think maybe it means this. No, they're emphatic. Because of the evidence that they had received, they knew without a doubt that there was a baby born and he was going to be the king of the Jews. But can you imagine, of course I'm adding some hyperbole here, but can you imagine how their neighbors might have reacted when they were packing up their camels, when they were putting the suitcases on top of those humps and they were getting ready to leave town? The neighbor says, so, uh, why are you leaving? Oh, we're going to go worship the king of the Jews. The king of the Jews? What are you talking about? The king of the Jews? Well, that's Herod. You're going to go worship him? He says, they said, no, not going to go worship him. Oh, who are you going to worship him? Oh, I don't know his name. Hmm. Oh, oh, oh how far are you going to travel? Oh, we're going to travel a long, long way. Well, what are you going to do when you get there? Well, we're going to give him gifts. Oh, you're going to give ba- gifts to a baby, are you? Oh, okay. And, and, and you're going to make this long journey and leave everything behind. And the neighbors say, and they call, they call you wise men? Imagine what the reaction was when Abraham, when he was living in Ur of, Ur of Chaldees, and he told his family, Uh, God has asked me to go into a country I've never seen. He's going to give me a land I've never set eyes on. Imagine what Noah's neighbors thought when they um, saw him building that ark. And he says, the reason why I'm building this ark is because God's promise is going to rain. And they said, well, you're talking about rain. There's no such thing as rain. We have a mist that covers the earth. We don't need this rain. And it's going to rain so hard it's going to flood. Are you crazy, Noah? Or maybe... Andrew or James or John, when they left their fishing nets and they began to follow Jesus Christ and their other fellow neighbors, their other fishermen saying, so you're going to quit fishing for fish and start fishing for men? But what is all that based on? The wise men based it on their faith. Abraham was based on his faith in God. Noah was based on his faith in God. Andrew, James, and John, it was based on their faith in God. Here's a very important fact. A person whose journey is true, a person who wants to go to heaven, a person who's trying to get to the King, Jesus Christ, it's always going to be a journey of faith. Hebrews chapter 11 and verse 1 reminds us that faith is the substance of those things which are hoped for and the evidence of those things which aren't seen. The rest of the of the world may say we are crazy, we believe in a God that we can't touch or hold or see, and we believe in a man who died over 2,000 years ago, but our faith has caused us to be on a journey just like these wise men. Verse 6 of the same chapter says, For without faith it is impossible to please him, for he that cometh to him must believe that he is, and that he is a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. Faith puts us on a journey. We want to be with Him, and we know there's a reward at the end. So each and one of us this morning who understand and appreciate 
that we need to be on a journey of faith, and in a lot of ways, we are just like these wise men. But I want you to notice something else in the text. Not only was there faith involved, but there was also worship involved. Uh, they make mention in verse 2 that they want to worship Him, and of course, when they get to uh, the house where Jesus is with His mother Mary, it says in verse 11, And when they were coming to the house... They saw the young child with Mary, his mother, and fell down and worshipped him. And when they had opened their treasures, they presented unto him gifts, gold, frankincense, and myrrh. Now, what is the number one reason why the wise men traveled all this distance? Why did they go to the court of the king and inquire about where this baby was? What was the underlying reason for their entire journey of faith? It's because they wanted to worship the king. And then we see in the text that they understood that the part of the worship was to bring gifts. When they worshiped this baby, they wanted to bring him gifts. We see these things listed, and it's interesting that the, the um, gifts that they picked were not arbitrary. I believe they had some reason behind the gifts that they picked. For example, you notice there's three of them, and three of these gifts, these three gifts are very symbolic. First of all, they gave him the gift of gold. Now, in the days of Palestine, that's not a gift you normally would give just your average person. Gold was not something that people came by very easily. It was something that was very precious. And so usually the only time that somebody would give somebody gold would be somebody who was a king, somebody who was royalty, somebody who was noble enough to receive such a fine gift as gold. And so what they're saying as they present this gift of gold, they're saying, here's a king, here's a man who is worthy of our worship because he is the king and we're going to give him gold. But also notice the second gift they gave was frankincense. And exactly as the word states, this is a form of incense. You see it right there in the word. The word incense is there. Frankincense is an incense. It basically came off of a gum of a tree and it was allowed to harden. And they would burn one end of it and it would give off a very fragrant aroma. But behind this particular idea of frankincense... And this incense that was being burned, it was burned to show tribute to God. It was incense that was burned that was lifted up to God. So notice what they've done so far. They've given him gold saying that he is king. They've given him frankincense saying he is God. But now look at the third gift they bring. The gift of myrrh. Myrrh was something else that, of course, was taken from a tree the sap of it, and it was melted down, and it was used in a variety of different ways. It was used as medicine. It was used as something to uh, relieve pain. But the number one thing it was used for was to embalm the dead. Now think about that for a moment. Basically, when they presented these gifts to uh, this young baby, this young child, we recognize the fact that you are a king. We recognize the fact that you are a God. And we recognize the fact that one day you're going to die. Going to die as a sacrifice for all mankind. But don't miss the point. 
when it comes to worship, there's gifts involved. And so the question that has to be asked today, if you're on a journey of faith and you now have arrived to worship God and worship His Son, Jesus Christ, what gifts have you brought? What gifts have you brought? Now, we don't mean that you should brought packages in. We're going to set them down somewhere and say, these are the gifts for, for God and for Jesus. But we do bring gifts when we come to worship. I can't overly stress the fact that just the fact that you are here, you bring the gift of your presence. When a person is preaching, when a person uh, is, is teaching, when a person is cognitive of the fact that we want as many people as we can here on the Lord's Day, just the fact that you're here today, is a very special gift to a lot of people. Your presence is so encouraging. But you also bring the gift of your praise. When you lift up your voices, you are singing praises to God. But also in a little while, we're going to have the opportunity to give of our means. And I can't help but think about how last Sunday, how generous you were when we had our uh, special contribution. And uh, when Jeremy makes the announcements, he'll say more about this. But it always amazes me how generous this congregation is. But also I want you to think about the fact, as you look at these wise men, that there's another gift they brought. It's not specifically mentioned, but it's a gift that they brought, a very important gift, and it's the gift of sacrifice. These men gave up a lot so they could worship the King of Kings the Lord of Lords, Jesus Christ. They left family behind. They left comforts behind. They traveled a long and dusty trail. They came to a foreign land and went into the king's court, which could have got them in trouble. And they went and worshiped the king. You see, worship to really be anything involves sacrifice. In fact, if you go back and look at the Old Testament worship, They didn't just get together and sing some songs. They just didn't get together and heard some preaching being made. Uh, They just didn't get together and, and prayed some prayers. Their worship every single time involved sacrifice. There was always a sacrifice going on. Oftentimes when they leave the house, they would have to say, well, let's go out into our flock and find a lamb that is perfect, the best we have. Let's go find the best of the flock, and we're going to take that to the temple. Why? Because we're going to worship. Reminded of the passage over in 2 Samuel chapter um, 24 and verse 24 where uh, David is there at the threshing floor of Aruna and Aruna is going to just give him everything he needs to perform a sacrifice and David says, wait a minute, stop! I'm not going to sacrifice something that costs me nothing. In order for worship to be real, it's got to cost you something. It may be having to put up with some inconveniences to get here. It may be having to get out of bed when you don't want to get out of bed. It may be having to tell family you have to do certain things that they're not wanting you to do. But worship oftentimes takes sacrifice. Worship involves giving of ourselves. Romans chapter 12 and verse 1 We need to present our bodies as living sacrifices, holy and acceptable unto the Lord. These wise men understood what sacrifice was, but they didn't care what they had to give up. Not only were they willing to give gifts to God, give gifts to the Son of God, they were willing to give of themselves as seen by their long journey. 
But as I said, I was going to try to keep things a little bit briefer today. So let's look at one final point that we see in verse 12. And that is, as you look at the journey of these wise men, we understand and appreciate the fact that it's one of faith and it's one of worship, but it's also one of change. Notice verse 12. And being warned of God in a dream that they should not return to Herod, they departed into their own country another way. Now, I realize I'm taking some liberties here, but I think that the point can be made because it's a valid point. That once they had seen Jesus, once they had spent some time worshiping Jesus, once they had, because of their faith and because of their worship, been with Jesus, they realized that there were some changes that had to be made. They couldn't go back the same way that they came. There was a change in direction. Now, obviously, in the text, the reason for this is because um, they were going into some trouble with Herod. But I think we can make the spiritual application, because it is true, that any time anytime anybody spends any time with Jesus Christ, it should make a difference in their lives. It should make some changes in their life. We should never, ever leave this place being the same way we were when we came in. There should be some changes in our life. If not, then maybe we're really not wise men and women. Maybe we were really on a journey of faith. Maybe we really haven't worshipped Jesus and His Father the way that we should. All through the Bible, once people get in the presence of God, you see how there's changes in their life. For example, Job in the Old Testament, all he wanted was to have an audience with God. He wanted to be in the presence of God. He had some questions for God. He wanted to know, why God? Why me? And when he finally had his audience with God, Job, and I'm paraphrasing, he says, I am never going to ask those questions again. I need to keep my mouth shut. I have been with God, and now I understand. There's a story of Jacob who one night wrestled with God, and he never walked the same again. And then there's Isaiah in Isaiah chapter 6, verse 5, when he finally was allowed to go into the throne room of God in his vision, and he saw those cherubims and seraphim saying, Holy, holy, holy. And he realized who he was in the presence of God. He simply said, I am a man of unclean lips and a people of unclean lips. You see, when you're in the presence of God, something needs to change about us. We need to realize who we are and we need to realize who God is. There needs to be a change. So this morning... We need to ask ourselves, are we wise men or wise women? Are we just simply foolish people because we're really not on a journey of faith? Are we people who maybe have made the journey, but we really haven't brought any gifts? Or are we people who are not willing to change? It's interesting, the same Jesus whom these wise men worshipped has something to say about being wise and about being foolish. Finish up with one final text from Matthew chapter 7, beginning at verse 24. Jesus says, Therefore, whosoever heareth these sayings of mine and doeth them, I will liken him unto a wise man, which built his house upon a rock. 
And the rain descended, and the floods came, and the winds blew and beat upon that house, and it fell not, for it was founded upon a rock. And everyone that heareth these sayings of mine, and doeth them not, shall be likened unto a foolish man, which built his house upon the sand. And the rain descended, and the floods came, and the winds blew and beat upon that house, and it fell, and great was the fall of it. This morning, you have been on a journey of faith. You've had the opportunity to worship your Father in heaven. So the final question this morning as we offer the invitation, are you going to be a wise person or a foolish person? Are you going to allow his words to change you? So if you have a need this morning to become a Christian, we would love to sit down and talk to you more about what it means to become a Christian. That wasn't the scope of this lesson, but we love to talk to you about that. We hope all that are here today, that especially who are Christians, We'll appreciate their journey of faith, appreciate what they do when they come together on the Lord's Day. But most importantly, we should never, ever leave this place the same way that we came in. But instead, we should leave here as a changed person, a wise person, wanting to continue our journey of faith, wanting to reach our destination, and that is an eternal home with our Father in heaven. Won't you come as together we stand and sing?